listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. Cherokee, we're so glad you're joining us this morning. What a, what a crazy season, but I love the snow. I hope you stay warm and safe and your kids have a, a blast outside and nobody falls and hurts themselves. How about that? Well, uh, again, we're glad you're joining us this morning, a, an unusual uh, worship experience, but uh, praise God for all the work that's been done ahead of time in order to be able to do these kind of services. But we are starting a brand new series. The series that we're in today is called The Kingdom, The Kingdom of God. We had just wrapped up a series uh, over the last four weeks, mapping through the book of Mark. We're going to continue that. And Stephen Brown did a wonderful job wrapping up that uh, The Way series. But we're going to be finding ourselves in the book of Mark again. Looking at chapter 3, so if you have a copy of God's Word, turn there to Mark chapter 3. We're going to highlight verses 20 through 30, so we're going to take a look there. Uh, But as you turn there, let's just kind of set the scene a little bit on on where we are, where we've been. Jesus had finished uh, teaching and preaching and, and gathering many people around him. He began to forgive sins healing the paralytic, uh, calling the outcast to himself like Matthew the tax collector to be one of his followers. What a scandalous call that that was in that time. Also touching unclean people, doing very just just crazy things like that, messing up the whole religious system of his day and, and re, rewriting on and returning to what fasting and the Sabbath was and what that was meant to be. And then he began to send out his disciples two by two into the harvest and equipping, the, equipping them to do the work of the ministry. So we find ourselves fast forwarding to chapter three. We uh, look here at uh, chapter 3, verse 20 through 30. Hopefully you've had a chance to get there. But by now, he is, uh, Jesus has gathered a massive crowd around him, so much so in this particular part, him and the disciples could not even eat a meal in Peter's house. And so we find ourselves in that scene, and, and here is where we read uh, in verse 20. So if you look there with me, we'll read that. Then Jesus went home, and the crowds gathered again, so that they could not even eat. Verse 21. And when his family heard it, that he was back home, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, or Beelzebul. And by the prince of of demons, he cast out demons. And Jesus called them to him and said in a parable, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds that strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven in the children of men. And whoever blasphemes, they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness 
but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Father, for your word. Even a very difficult word that we hear here uh, in Mark chapter chapter 3, where Jesus is, is outlining uh, some very difficult teaching. Help us to understand what you meant by the idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and this eternal sin that is unforgivable. Lord, many times we, we don't we understand that your word is true and, and your forgiveness is ex- extends to the very end. But Lord, let, let us understand what this meant, what you meant by this scripture when you said that there is an unforgivable sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a, what a scripture to handle during our Valentine Day. And we hope that you experience the love of God uh, this morning as we unwrap this very difficult scripture. But it is, it is an unusual scripture to unwrap with you guys as we, we look here in this, this, this narrative. But let's, let's kind of recap what we just heard. Jesus is teaching. He's, he's back in Capernaum. And the, ga- the crowd is just gathering even more. And uh, the, the scribes begin to, to uh, call Jesus out for, for his miracles. But uh, I'm often reminded about C.S. Lewis's quote. And that's where we're going to really uh, hover today. Is G- uh, C.S. Lewis quotes... Uh, it's quoted here uh, when we talk about who this Jesus is. And that's what we deal with today. We're looking at kind of three different people. And that quote is this, that according to C.S. Lewis, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Many of you probably have heard that saying before. But there is no room outside of that. Jesus is either crazy, he is a complete liar, and, and, and has deceived everybody, or he is who he says he is. He is God and Lord. And so we're going to kind of unwrap that. We're going to look at his family and how the family of Jesus actually, uh, what they believed. They believed he was a lunatic. And, and that's the first point we come to today. Is Jesus the lunatic? If you look in verse 20 through 21, uh, it says this, Then Jesus went home and the crowds gathered again. So there were so many that, that he couldn't even eat. Verse 21, and when his family, and that word family means kin or relative or close friend, it it can mean all of those. When his family heard it, they went out to literally seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Jesus had stirred up so much controversy, so much trouble in in this declaration of forgiving sins, declaring he's the son of man, uh, that his family literally believed he he was a lunatic, that he was crazy. So they literally planned a family intervention. They planned to, to, to seize, to bind up, that word means to seize, to bind up Jesus and to get him away from the crowd and to have like a, a come to Jesus uh, moment with him where they, they call him out for this. And they wanted to bind him up and they literally tried to capture him. But we, we even read in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, that Jesus had other family members other than the famous that we know, which is, is Mary uh, and, and their brother James. But in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus returns to Nazareth, it, it, it says here, Is not this the same carpenter, uh, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and, and are not? His sisters here with us now, and they looked offended 
and took offense at him. So there, there is a narrative where, where, where Jesus had other family members other than James and, and Mary, but also there was there, was, there were other brothers named here and other sisters, but it also could mean other kin, some extended family. And so, so we find here that, that this, this uh, family even called him out as a lunatic. But we know the narrative of Scripture. You look in the, the full counsel of God's Word. You can read in Galatians 1, Acts 15, 1 Corinthians 15, where we, we see uh, the, 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 the same family members being those who declare Christ and follow Christ. So obviously, and we see the book of James written by the brother of James. And, and we know Mary as one who was, who was obviously one who knew who Christ was. But obviously, this, this declaration that Jesus was a this crazy person was not unforgivable. It wasn't one of those sins that God cannot forgive. And so for, for us, maybe we even think, man, you know, I don't know about this Jesus. It may be, that's too crazy to even consider. I don't, I don't know if I can follow that. But what Jesus says, and the scriptures declare, that even those who, who would fall in that category, that this isn't an a, a, a unpardonable or unforgivable sin. But what is that? What is that? Many times we wrestle. I've talked to many people who, who question, like, am I, am I, Am I causing an unforgivable sin? Well, first of all, if you're asking that, more than likely the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and, and you're not declaring an unforgivable sin, which, which is a very odd thing to say in, because in Scripture it talks about how, uh, how God is forgiving and all sins can be forgiven and, and, and there's nothing that is far beyond the reach of God, and, which is true. But we land here with our next point where the Pharisees landed and that he, that's where he was calling out the Pharisees for this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that was Jesus was a liar. So is Jesus the liar? And so look, look, look back at verse 22. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, which is different. Beelzebub was in the Old Testament the god of dung the gods of Baal, as accredited to the enemy, Satan. But Beelzebul actually means the prince of demons. So these Pharisees were declaring that by the prince of demons, Jesus was casting out demons. Uh, and, and what's interesting is by the time we get to Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and particularly the scribes here, were gathering a religious decision on who this Jesus was. And they began to put together a, a very strong, agreeable argument. Uh, they had gathered together and said, okay, what are we going to say about this Jesus? When we go back out and we have inter, inter, interchange with those in Capernaum and the, the surrounding area, what are we going to tell people about this Jesus? And so they came up with an idea, oh, okay, what we're going to do is, uh, let, let, let's say that he, he's, he's under the influence and under the control of Satan. That's the, only, that's the only answer we can give. We, we, we have no idea what else to say because of his miracles are obvious. Uh, the things he's teaching is just radical. So we're going to accredit it to our enemy, Satan. And, and so after all their gathering informa information, this is their crescendo, their big moment to say, Jesus, you're actually from Satan. And, and what a profound uh, reality that Jesus is being possessed by Satan himself, the prince of demons. What an what a, what a interesting 
position to hold. And what's, what's, what's interesting to point out here, and this is very important, that the scribes in their opposition, they do not deny Jesus' power. It was obvious. No one can deny the miraculous work that he had done. No one could accuse him. And they weren't even accusing him of being an imposter or fake because many prophets before would make these declarations, but they could not prove it with their actions and the miraculous work that was very obvious to everyone around. They recognized that power, but what they did is they accredited the power to actually to become demonic instead of from God. This is the eternal abomination, unpardonable sin that Jesus is talking about right here. The only unpardonable sin is actually the refusal of trusting in Jesus. The Pharisees saw everything in their own, with their own eyes. The Sadducees and the scribes saw everything and witnessed firsthand the miracles of Christ. And instead of believing that Jesus is who he says he is, they rejected Jesus as Savior, rejected him as who he says he is. And they said, instead, we're going to believe that he's a liar. If you read in John three thirty six, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son should not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John three thirty six, Acts four eleven and twelve. Peter is teaching after the resurrected Christ fills Jesus fills the disciples with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He's teaching to the very scribes and religious leaders that declared that he is from Satan. The same Pharisees that ruled in the execution of our Savior is teaching about this risen Christ, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, declares this in verse 11 of Acts 4. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, verse 12. And there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no name under heaven gathered among men by which we must be saved. Here's the point. If our final conclusion, after fully illuminated and enlightenment to the gospel, the truth of Christ, like the Pharisees, they knew the Torah, they knew the foreshadowing of the Messiah, they knew all that was supposed to come, and Jesus appears, shows up, and proves that he is God. And if we, if we receive full clarification, and our response to the gospel is, and to the forgiveness of, of our sins is, I reject Christ and his sacrifice, there is no other way. And therefore, that is why it is the unforgivable sin. There is no other way under heaven and earth that we may be saved. And there's no other way by which your family members, your classmates, your loved ones, your, your co-workers, and your children can be saved. And so our opportunity, our final conclusion is this. Jesus is the only king. Jesus is Lord. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He is Lord. And that's our third point, verse 23 through 27. And he outlines it very clearly by establishing a new kingdom. As he's been teaching from the very beginning of Mark chapter 1, he began to establish his kingdom and he declared his kingdom. And now he reveals himself as the only king. Look at verse 23 through 27 again with me. And he called them to himself. I love this. It's almost like, guys, come here. Come here. 
Let's talk about this for a second. Let's have a little reality check. He calls them to himself in verse 23 and said to them with a parable or story, how can Satan cast out Satan? Basically, how logical is that? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house will not stand. Verse uh, 27, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds him up, binds that strong man, and then he plunders his house. This is what Jesus has done. He has bound the strong man. He has come into the kingdom and rule of, of, of Satan, of this, the dark forces of this world. He entered his kingdom and he took back the very possessions that belonged to Satan, which was you, dead in our sins, born slaves to the king of this earth, Satan. And he has taken back what is rightfully his. Taking back what is rightfully Jesus's, the God of this universe, and that is you as his possessions. He has tied up the enemy and his rule and his reign, and he has reestablished his reign on earth, in heaven, for all eternity. And if we will put our faith and trust in him to believe and obey, we will be made new and born again. But there's no other way under heaven and earth by which anyone may be saved. We, are, we were the enemy's possession, uh, possessions, mankind, slave to sin, dead in our sin. The arrival of this King Jesus established the, king, the kingdom of God and revealed that Jesus broke the dominion of Satan and bound him. And Jesus has set the captives free, fulfilling Isaiah 61 and binding up the strong man and restoring us to the rightful owner, which is our creator and our Lord, Jesus. We now become an image bearer. So as we come to a landing, here's our application. Some say Jesus was maybe a good teacher, a humble man, very wise, a great miracle worker, even atheists do not deny these things, most at least. But Jesus did not leave any room for that. Jesus left zero room for him being a humble man only, or just a wise teacher, or just a miracle worker. There is no place at the table for that declaration. Jesus is either a crazy lunatic a complete liar and the greatest deceiver and, and magician ever to live. Or he is who he says he is. Who do you say he is? And what does your life reflect that Jesus is? Is he the king of your life, the king of your heart? Does he have full rule and reign in your life? Are you under the full control and lordship and leadership of the king of this earth? King, King Satan, who has been bound and his, his rule and reign has been revoked. And the only power that Satan has is that which we give him now. And though for those who put their full weight, their full trust and faith in Jesus and follow him in obedience, they will be saved. And the only unpardonable sin, the only unforgivable eternal sin is to reject Jesus as Lord. 
So this morning, I want to challenge you as a family, even as we dismiss here, to immediately just break into your groups in your home. Maybe you're gathering with some other family members this morning in this snow. Maybe you have a nice fire on in your home. But I want to challenge you this morning, as soon as we're dismissed here, to ask one another, who do I say Jesus is? Am I practical? Am I practically practicing atheism that Jesus is a lunatic or a liar or, or maybe just a wise person which is not even on the table? By the way I live my life, the way I serve Jesus in my life, Jesus clearly established as his kingdom who will be your king. I encourage you to continue the 80-day challenge that I've been reminding everyone in our church about. We started that three weeks ago leading up to the resurrected Christ, the celebration of Easter that we will begin to celebrate. And leading up to that, I want to encourage you to do three things continually. If you're a part of the body of Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're a new creation, challenge you to abide in Christ. Sit with Jesus in his word and in worship privately. Live in community together. We have great small groups that we want to encourage you to be a part of. We're looking forward to some new engagements regarding some of our D groups coming up very soon. But also, I want to encourage you to be a part of this kingdom cause. Jesus establishes his kingdom, and we get to be a part of a kingdom cause. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Allow Jesus to rule and reign in your heart and affect every environment that you're in with a gospel presence. Those are three challenges. Live on mission, live in community, live in his presence. If you're here and you're listening right now and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never put your faith and trust in him, you didn't realize that he paid the price for your sins, he rose from the dead three days later, and he fills all believers with his presence. He beat death. He bind up the strong man. And he has come after you to bind up your broken hearted, your broken heart. He is here to set you free. And I want to encourage you in the comment section, uh, you'll see a link where you can get connected to someone who will reach out to you. If you need prayer, make comments in that link below. Uh, you'll see that in just a moment. But I want to encourage you to make a response. Be actively a part of the kingdom plan he has for you or join his kingdom he is worthy to be praised, and he is who he says he is. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. I ask God you be with us as we as we navigate this, this season. I pray that everyone stays warm and, and safe as we uh, look to travel possibly over the next several days and this, in the week ahead. But Lord, I pray more than anything, Jesus, that you will establish your rule and reign at Cherokee Hills that this will be a place that continues to champion a place of healing, restoration, deliverance, and where the, the, the bondage of Satan is broken and that the rule and reign in our own heart will be established so that all can see that we are the living hope in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com. Dot com.